the only thing we have to fear. The economic health of this nation has been four essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline Greed. in the dollar. It's a late rally on Wall Street. Too big to fail. Growing the economy. Growing the economy. It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Money Talks. Money Talks. Good morning. You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest running, most respected money show on radio. I'm your host this weekend, Nick Antonucci, joined today by my fellow research analyst, Jacob Keen. Hello. What's up, Jacob? Hello. (laughs) And Casey Smith. And Jacob, let me throw the CFA in there, Charter Financial Analyst, Casey Smith, CFP from the Planning and Implementation Department. And, you know, guys, we can't start the show without, you know, keeping in true uh, Troy fashion. As you can tell, he's not here this weekend. So I got to say, what up, fam? I was about to it, say, it pains me to say that, I'll be honest. But, you know, <laughs> Kelly Lynn, our producer, made me say it. So we're going to keep this show as Troy-like as possible. We've got an all, all millennial show today. I think we do. Troy would be proud. Yeah, except we're millennials and we don't say that. So I don't, I don't know. That's just saying Troy. <laughs> yeah, that's for the Zoomers. Hard. The Zoomers, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, guys, it's been an an exciting last week to say the least. You know, it kind of things started picking up with volatility Friday with the news that President Trump had, in in fact, uh, tested positive for COVID-19. You know, markets sold off a bit on that news, and um, seems like by Monday everything was good to go again, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, he got the drug cocktail. He's out back in the Oval. Yeah. He he did his. A cute little presser where he said he, he was everyone's favorite president. Yeah, I enjoyed that. that. And um, and now it's just like that one. It seemed like uh, in in the time of, of fear that something was going to happen to the president, we we're all going to come together and get a some sort of additional stimulus done, whether you think it's necessary or not. It seemed like that was going to happen, and here we are on uh, time of this recording Thursday afternoon, and it seems we're just as far apart as we've ever been in terms of getting a, a deal done. Uh, Pelosi says she's not willing to uh, negotiate a quote skinny deal, 1.6 trillion dollars. That's skinny now. Yeah, yeah, that's not a big deal anymore. Um, yeah, that's so 2008. And you have G- yeah, you have GOP senators now that say, uh, McC- uh, Mitch McConnell came out and said GOP senators are now saying that the majority of them don't even think additional stimulus is needed, which I could very very well side with that. Nonetheless. We seem further apart than we've ever been. Yeah, it's a situation where it, it's almost, as we've seen several times in recent memory, bad news is almost good news for the market because the worst news that you get it seems more likely that the stimulus deal might happen. Uh, you know, obviously they're very far apart, left and the right, in terms yeah. of whether they want to pass and what they want to pass. It's daily headline driven. Yeah. Well, it, it's 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 wild action recently it because it's back and forth on stimulus which it still feels like they're very far apart because I, I feel like the the piece that they can't even get close on is the state and local funding absolutely yeah. and and if you look at you know where that local funding is going to go largely you think of the urban areas of america are largely one political party so it's sort of a non-starter for republicans i feel like to basically hand over hundreds of billions of dollars to these cities, well, especially Trump, especially the way Trump's talked about the Chicago's and Seattle's of the world. I don't think he's really that willing to sign off on no, a bill that 
hands over hundreds of billions. So I feel like that's sort of – I mean we're only a few weeks away from the election at this point. It's it, and, what and, At this point, what – I don't think the deal gets done. No, I don't see how it gets yeah. done at this juncture. I mean, it's so close to the election. The market is still, you know, it's up. It's been up. Uh, yeah, if you want to if you want to look at the indicator, I know for those of you who listen regularly, Troy talks about a indicator of a 3 3 month performance heading, uh, leading up to the election, performance of the S&P 500. If it's positive, it tends to indicate the party in control will remain in control, i.e. President Trump gets reelected. After this week, uh, you know, again, this is recording Thursday, late Thursday afternoon. The market's about to be closed, but we're up more than four and a half percent, almost five percent on the S&P 500 since August the third. Yeah. So, I mean, that if, if, you, if, if you, you believe, believe if you that, believe that, that indicator, then I got another one for you. Yeah. The winner of the Colts, Colts Bears. Yep, I saw that one too. Yeah. So, Colts won. Trump's gonna win. I mean, it's I basically. Did see that. I'm glad you brought brought that up. That win. might be more reliable. I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> let's see how far back it goes. Uh, I know the last three elections, though. I think what is interesting, you know, I don't like to prognosticate about the election, but I think what is interesting is even though Trump is trailing in the polls right now, mm-hmm. he's got more. He's polling better than he was against Hillary. Yeah. And he beat her. And we so. all know how that turned out. Well. Well, of course, see and, what happens. And can, I mean, there's a month to go before the election, and I mean, so much could happen in a month. It seems like look that's how much happens in a week. I know it's, it's there's uh, no telling. And and it's kind of it's a good lead in there, KC. What I was going to get to is you know you have client questions come in, and what does you know a Biden uh, win mean for the markets? You know, for my financial future, or or the opposite? What does a blue wave mean yeah. for me? It's so hard. It's so difficult to there's no flip a to coin. forecast. I mean, yeah, there's no telling, and we do have clients that are wanting to, you know, look at exiting the market even now ahead of the election. Which, you know, we don't suggest trying to time your investment decisions around the election because, first of all, let's just say Biden wins, and you think that that's going to be detrimental to the market. Well, I would think he would also need control of the the House and the Senate to be able to make any meaningful changes. Otherwise you're going to have gridlock, which we pretty much have now. Exactly. And how much is it actually going to get done in that situation? So that would be quite the sweep to get 50 seats in the Senate. Yeah. Cause you'd have Kamala as the deciding vote as VP, but yeah, that, that would take, I mean, it could, it could definitely happen. I'm not saying that it can't, can't happen, but I think the one thing you're getting plenty of research reports out for the big banks this week talking about a blue wave. Yeah, like I think what that means it's it's they're bullish. I yeah. think the one thing, yeah, I think the one thing that we can say is like forecasting equity prices is always difficult in the near term. We can speak to valuations, valuations are elevated. Yep. If you start talking about the um corporate earnings tax that will rise under Biden, you can forecast forward next year there will be a drop in earnings S&P in, 500 in, earnings and the low to mid double digits. Um but we would also expect in this sweep scenario that you would get a lot of fiscal stimulus. And so sort of the way that we're looking at that is if there is a democratic sweep, our pa- our rate path and inflation path is going to be much higher because a lot of the reports that we're seeing is the potential for, you know, across infrastructure and healthcare and, you know, Massive. a number of programs, Green New Deal, of course, not the actual Green New Deal, but, you know, some form of renewable energy uh, fiscal stimulus, we're talking probably $7 trillion over the next four years, which you start injecting that amount of money consistently, 
you're going to get higher inflation and higher rates. Absolutely. I don't see how you don't. And when you, especially when you consider how much stimulus we've already had this year and, and the prospects of 2.2 trillion or 1.6 trillion, whatever it may end up being, we've already done more stimulus than we did during the financial crisis. Yeah. And right. we're talking about throwing another, you know, one and a half, two trillion dollars on top of that. When you guys are financial analysts, if, if we don't get inflation after all of this stimulus, then we can just take everything that we've learned and throw it in, out the window. Well, economics I, I don't think that, I, I don't think that's entirely fair because there's two, there's two factors in all of this. It's like the money supply itself and then the uh, speed of exchange yeah, and the money supply. So like inflation is force, mass is how much money you have, acceleration is the velocity of money. We continue to see the velocity of money fall. Right. I think a lot of the stimulus that we saw, absent what was sort of supportive to consumers, the $1,200, you know, a lot of that has not really flown through the economy yet. But if you think about a lot of the more socially oriented programs, I think you do get an uptick in the velocity of money. Yeah. Well, here's what I know, guys. In 10 years, whoever we elect in November will not be the president anymore. Uh, so, you know, we operate under the 10-year rule here at Hensler, and, and so that's why, from an equity standpoint, don't go making any rash decisions about, you know, selling out of equities or changing your equity allocation. It should be based on your financial plan. Uh, Agreed. And, you know, no, regardless of what the outcome of the election is, market might be short-term influenced one way or another. In the long run, especially with interest rates where they are now, I don't see how equities don't outperform any other asset class. I mean, maybe real estate, you throw that in there, but yeah, it, it, perfect example of when you're short-term reactionary, think about people calling you at the bottom of the market back in, in March, right? Yeah, it happened during the pandemic. Well, year to date, we're now up more than 8% in the S and P 500 total return basis trailing 12 months over the last 12 months, 21.38%, 2% in the last five days, the mark, you know, don't make these knee-jerk reactions. Right. Follow your financial plan, as Casey said. Absolutely, it, it all it, everything comes back to the plan at the end of the day. And you know, we can look over. Troy likes to talk about forecasting uh, in a sense of it, it's it's impossible to predict what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. But if you look at longer-term trends, you can. It's a lot easier to kind of get a feel for where things might be in ten years from now than it is. You know, next yeah. year, next week. And we've had great returns this past decade. We don't expect to have similar returns the next decade. But if you start thinking, okay, average is 10%. We've had a great run here. Maybe we have 6% returns over the next 10 years. That's still going to destroy what you're getting in bonds. Absolutely, Absolutely Jacob. Good point. So where we left off, you know, we were talking about it's, it's hard to predict what might come next uh, in the markets resulting from the election. Also talked about stimulus. And Jacob, you had a great point typically we get into some of the economic data. I think it's a good point to do that because a lot of the economic data you're seeing out right now doesn't suggest a need for additional stimulus, certainly not to the extent that the numbers we're talking about. Right, right. Yeah, I think, well, there's a lot of moving parts here. I think the big story is if you look at, you know, uh, middle to high wage earners, there hasn't been that much disruption. It's, it's, mostly on the lower wage earner side as far as the labor market goes. Right. And if you look at, I mean, we got composite PMIs this week. We got ISM non-manufacturing. Business activity, of course, we always have to keep in mind that this is a relative measure and we hit, you know, very depressed lows. But, I mean, we're, we're continuing to improve on that front. We had the 
non-manufacturing PMI at 57.8. That was up from 56.9. It's a bit mixed, but if you look at activity and new orders, both in the 60s, uh, employment is finally positive, which there's a sort of a mixed story there, uh, which we can get to. Inventories are improving. They're still somewhat negative. Um, and also, we've seen s- some price press- pressures for businesses, but sure. all in all, the big takeaway is like businesses continue to increase activity and catch up. And they seem very optimistic. Demand. It's surprising yeah. to me, mostly optimistic about business conditions and the economy when you consider how much uncertainty there is yeah, right well, now. Yeah, there's two people to come out with PMIs. There's ISM and there's market. market Market's yep. report was a little bit more mixed and there were businesses that were citing election uncertainty. So mm-hmm. that is an aspect. And they were also citing, you know, uh, a lack of stimulus as a potential headwind. Um, but that was interesting. Well, you are starting to, when, when we talk about stimulus, especially, you know, the, the $1,200 that everyone was given um, back in April, whenever that was, you're starting, that money is essentially gone at this point. The consumer has spent that. You saw just this week a report on consumer credit that, that showed you're starting to see concerns on, at least in my opinion, that consumption is starting to slow again. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, consumer credit pretty much indicates that the savings rate has increased more or less because they're deleveraging. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, on one hand, you think about that, oh, the consumer's deleveraging. That's good, right? But what drives consumption? We want to see yeah. some level of credit Yeah, expansion. and we've, we've seen consumer sentiment stay pretty strong. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the conference board, consumer confidence – that continues to weaken. So it's sort of two different sort of aspects of the consumer. Um, but the consumer is improving on many fronts, but there still is some, you know, uncertainty, same topics as businesses. And like I mentioned with employment, uh, Nick, we have businesses increasing their activity, mm-hmm. but if you look at job openings, job openings actually fell for the first time since I think it was February, Yep. February or March of this year. So, what we're sort of seeing is is perhaps we're taking a pause here in the recovery. I mean, if you looked at job openings, it was entirely indicative of a V-shaped recovery. The problem is entering this month, it's starting to look like job openings are falling. We still have two unemployed people per job opening. Um, so if we see sort of a reduction in hiring in, in, in that sense, it may prolong the recovery and it, it may take longer. So sort of getting the full view here too. We also see if you look at claims, right? If you look at initial claims, we're still pacing in the 800,000s. Yeah, it's 840,000 this week um, compared to an upwardly revised 849 the previous week. And this is the sixth consecutive week with claims stuck at the 800,000 level. Um, you also have more than 464,000 people that applied for help from the pandemic unemployment assistance program, which is basically after your your state benefits run out, you can get an additional, I think, 13 weeks of federal unemployment. And you're seeing those numbers rise. So people have been out of work for an extended amount of time. I mean, and, and, look, the guys, the, the economy has not opened up again fully. I mean, we're still in a situation where most of the service sector and the, the leisure sector is, is not operating at full capacity or anywhere close to it. You know, restaurants, sure. bars, hotels, travel industry, all of that stuff is is really muted. And I, we've probably gotten to a point where we're most of the jobs that are going to be filled in the short term are filled. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's I think that's, I think that's true. I think the the 
structural concern is that some of the businesses that you're talking about might not reopen or right. haven't reopened completely. I think it's um, it's it's that and you know employment is my biggest concern. I would say largely the data lately has been pretty optimistic, but employment is still a big concern for me. You look at unemployment still at what's are we still at 7.9 yeah, I think, I think that's a bit report. deceiving when you look at some of the, like the 1099 employees and stuff that are still out of work. Sure. They can't claim unemployment or yeah. even small business owners that employed themselves that might be out of work. And well, if you look at the headlines, you're seeing big companies announce more and more layoffs now, which is you know, yeah. we've been mentioning that for a couple of months now. But that's starting to become a bit more concerning for me. And, and Casey, you know, you talk about the restaurants and all what what ha- most of them are open for outdoor dining in right. the Northeast. It's about to be winter. What happens? Yeah, I mean, I know New York and, has kind of tried to uh, to to put some incentives in place or, or even uh, allow the restaurants to continue to operate outdoors. You know, it, they're kind of out and spilling out into the streets almost in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what does that do when when it gets too cold uh, to for people to want to eat outdoors? I mean, I, I just I think that's going to be problematic for that industry. I do too, and you know the the assumption is that well that won't happen if everything opens opens back up. You can dine, you know, even if it's limited capacity indoors. But California, New York, that does we don't, I don't think we're anywhere close to that being reality. No, not I mean not unless there's you know a vaccine that is effective. And I guess Fauci said don't expect that until this time next year. Maybe our vaccine might be in place, but it won't be widely distributed. Yeah, well there's there is actually some slightly offsetting forces to that if you look at the housing market though yeah that's sure. true i mean a which lot has of, been a lot of gangbusters gang for yeah. sure gangbusters for sure one of the things that uh i like to track guys be- because actually it's it's not been perfect um but it's been pretty accurate over the course of time if you look at the uh past handful of cycles past six or seven cycles if you use the leading economic index which is a blend of I think it's seven different uh, economic indicators. If that is above zero, then you can be confident that we are back in an economic expansion. Mm-hmm. That We reached a low of probably negative seven, roughly. We're still at negative 4.7 on the year over year wow. on that. So before we can be confident that we can say, okay, we know it's a V, we're back to growth, you know, because here we sit today, we saw Q th- we, we saw uh, the the quarterly GDP report, which was down over 30 percent. To we're forecasting growth forward, but we need to sort of see it first to be confident, like we've turned the corner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's you know still. And, s- and one thing to note is, for the first time in history, equity S and P 500 returns have been inversely correlated with GDP. Yeah. For the first time in history. You have a the plunge of 30 something percent and the market is now up. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, it's crazy. And and the, the level of uncertainty that we have right now, it continues to it continues to shock me that, you know, uncertainty is risk and, and typically means, you know, volatility in the markets and potentially lower markets. And we're still higher. So, yeah, well, we'll take another break right here. You listen to Money Talks and we come back. We'll dig into our financial situation. How can you see into my eyes like open doors? All material presented is from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. 
Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decision and is not intended to replace the advice of qualified professionals, such as tax consultants, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in the Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.